This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. We had his former roommate on, and I think it's only fair we have him on to defend himself from some of the stories that Greg Brady told about him. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of the London Knights, Mike Stubbs. Stubbsy, thanks a lot for taking some time, buddy. You guys are amazing. Thank you for having me. This is fun. And I'm going to, is there a fifth that I can plead in Canada to Brady stories? I don't think there is. I don't know what the equivalent is, but I'd like to take it. Two things stood out from that conversation with Greg Brady. Well, let's make it three. First of all, he still loves the Saginaw spirit and the Ontario Hockey League where he used to call games. Secondly, he really, really likes you from your college days. And thirdly, I think you broke his heart when you moved out of the guy's rooming situation. I don't know if it was a dorm or an apartment or whatever, but you broke his heart, Stubbsy. I, you know what? I, I still feel bad about it. And I, I was listening to you guys talk. And the only thing that would pop into my head was, did I give him that last utilities check? Did I even pay utilities? Cause I met my wife and we actually moved. Well, I had to, it's, it's kind of a convoluted story, but we were living, my wife and I, we weren't married at that point, but we wound up living together in a place that was free. So I wasn't paying double rent. So I made sure and, and paid the rent to Brady. That I know, but I hope I was chipping in for utilities. The 23-year-old me, I'm not sure if I was that responsible. <laughs> How do you find a free place to live in London? Can we get that story? We had to, in order to light the stove, because you didn't turn on the stove, you lit it. Uh, you turned on the gas and you stood at least six feet back with a pack of matches and you threw the matches at the stove until the stove lit. Um, my wife's mother came to visit us at one point and she had had a daughter, my wife's sister, who went to Queens and, and lived in the ghetto and lived in some pretty interesting spots. And uh, she said by far this was the worst thing she had ever seen for two people to be living in at the same time. And yet they let me marry her and uh, we're still <laughs> married to this day. I get it. Life insurance rates go up. Rent is free. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. Uh, turning the tables, how much are you missing Holly Gully, London Knights hockey? Oh, just hearing you say it, it's, it's hard. It's, I'm missing it. I am missing being around the rink, on those buses, visiting you guys. I miss the meals, especially in Kitchener and in Sault Ste. Marie and in Saginaw and in Flint. And Can I go on? Yes. <laughs> You're making me miss it. You know, Mike, though, it was about by when last season, Popper, did we say, I'll just give anything for a trip to Sudbury? Like, no offense to Sudburyites, Sudburonians, what, and no offense to the Memorial Arena up there. It, it, maybe not our favorite trip. I don't like that climb to the press box. But at this, at whatever point last season, we're like, just put me on a bus and send me to Sudbury, please, because we just want to get back into it. 
for anybody who hasn't seen that particular climb into the press box, it's, it's like stairs that are also a ladder that goes straight up in the air far enough that if you fell, bad things could happen. If you guys had to pick going up, going down, which one can you do? Going up. Way easier. For sure. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Going we down, you see that there's bolts missing, right? So that's what really gets you. <laughs> when I was working with Don, <laughs> I swear to you, I went down first so that he would be coming obviously down after me and I could break his fall just in case the unthinkable happened. That's what a partner does. Popper, remember that. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say, you know. I'm obviously younger than you, but we're still younger people. There's some older gentlemen covering this league and women that would go into that press box. I would be terrified with Don Cameron at, at the time he was calling his final game, his final seasons, to go into that press box. It, uh, it's historical. I, I like to look around at the, you know, the, the sand beneath my feet and think that you know there are some pretty famous individuals who've walked on this same sand. That's a great way to look at it. So when we've been doing this kind of alphabet tour of the Ontario Hockey League, Mike, the idea is to kind of remind fans about where things were at when the season stopped, hockey sports stopped in, in March of 2020 and what they look like coming into the fall now of 2021. And the funny thing is, as I reflect on the London Knights, where were things at when everything stopped? Well, the same place they always are for the London Knights. First place, no big deal. You know what? That is a team that will forever be the subject of conversations among Knights fans. And I think that will dominate probably whenever we get ourselves back in for an exhibition game to Budweiser Gardens. I think that will be the first thing. How far do you think that team could have gone? But when you think the whole Western Conference was shaping up so nicely, Kitchener was in a good spot. Flint was a team that maybe was unheralded, but I think they were going to be a tough out. You had a lot of really good teams in the West where you could say, yeah, there are going to be some good series. And then the Ottawa 67s were the team to beat in the East. The Knights had beaten them twice that season and had really elevated their game in both of those meetings. So I think the Knights were looking at that as being, hey, it it could be anybody, but it certainly could be us. And with Ryan Merkley running the power play, that was a really tough thing to deal with. Brett Brochu had come on in net and had kind of taken the rookie reins of goaltending by storm in the OHL and had played really well. And so that was a team that really got along. And you guys know the ingredients that it takes to win. They really get along. They play for each other. They play for the coaches. And they win in those big moments. That club was doing that. So I think anything but a long run would have been a disappointment to the guys in that dressing room. One losing season under Dale Hunter, and it was the first season he took over as head coach. With the age of that team that you just talked about, Stubbsy, did it only take a global pandemic to result in maybe another losing season for London? Because this is going to be a really young team too. It will be a young team this year. And it'll be interesting because when you look at experience, there isn't a ton. There are five returning forwards. And you have to consider Max McHugh was a 16-year-old who was kind of in and out of the lineup. The Knights bring players along pretty slowly. Stuart Roloffs was the same. So you're looking at returning players of Luke Evangelista and Tony Strangis and Sean McGurn, who would all of a sudden have to be in bigger go-to roles. 
I think with a lot of the youngsters, though, I think there's still a lot of promise here. I, I don't look at this team and say this is a rebuilding team. I look at it as saying this is a team that's young and could be dangerous. There's a guy named Liam Gilmartin who seemed born to play for the London Knights or maybe something in his future was going to involve the London Knights because he was playing for the Washington Little Caps. And they play in the Capitals practice facility. And in that facility is a Dale Hunter banner at one end of the ice. So every time he would turn doing his pivot drills, he'd be able to look up Dale Hunter, Dale Hunter. (laughs) And then one day he was drafted by the London Knights. Liam Gilmartin's going to be with the London Knights. So they've added him in. He's 18 years old. So that gives them a little bit more, at least age. And then it's, uh, it's a lot of young guys, but it's some pretty exciting guys. And the one thing I think fans are going to get a kick out of if you've been following junior hockey or following hockey period for a while are the father-son connections. This year, the London Knights could have as many as four in any given lineup. So you have three forwards. Uh, Brody Crane, his father, Derek, played for London, played for Windsor, played for Oshawa. You have Landon Sim, whose father, John Sim, starred for the Sarnia Sting. Seemed like he would get 50 goals and 150 penalty minutes every year he played. He was dynamite. So Landon Sim is coming in. John Sim used to play when Mark Hunter coached the Sarnia Sting. So there's a pretty unique tie in there. And then you've got DJ Smith's son, Colton Smith, who is now 17 years old and is kind of a power forward type, so would be going into his second year. And then this year, the London Knights wound up drafting Radic Bonk's son, Oliver. So you've got Oliver Bonk, who doesn't have – remember the great mullet Radic Bonk had? How good was his hair? Oliver has done some different things with his hair. Usually it's dyed a certain color. So sometimes he'll go blonde, but I haven't seen the mullet shape up. We'll have to see what he looks like when he reports for training camp. I, it, Bonk's mullet either became a Twitter account or a blog up and one or the other at some point, right? That's how legendary this mullet was, says the guy with no hair. Uh, along with Bonk, isn't there a Donovan in there too that's uh, some NHL bloodlines as well? Uh, as far as as Donovan, I mean, thought, Sean Donovan? Sean Donovan, yeah. Yeah, so I mean the right. Knights have a draft pick right? his. Yeah. They have a, a son who was drafted this year. So you're right. Yeah. So there is another one that, that could be coming. He hasn't signed with the team. He hasn't signed the old standard player agreement yet. But yeah, there, there could be a fifth. See, Mike, I, you know the Knights better than I do all of a sudden. Don't let anybody No, That's not true. Strike that from the record, Your Honor. <laughs> you just impersonated Farwell's dreams. Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter. <laughs> dreams. Good word for it, Pope. Uh, nightmares. Yeah. Stubbsy, do you? Do you think Dale Hunter wants Brian Kilray's record? You know what? Dale Hunter just likes coaching the next game. Yeah. And I know that that might sound like something people say, uh, come on, you know, really. He, he just wants to coach that next game. It's, it almost seems, and the Knights have had some, you know, great success over the years. And even though it, it's not like this at the time, when you think back on it, it's easy to picture in a celebration for a Memorial Cup championship or an OHL championship, it's easy to picture the conversation going on right after that takes place, turning to next year's team. It's almost like it would happen that quickly. And that's not exactly what happens, but that's how focused this team and this management group is on what's next. Their depth charts run deep. They're always trying to think about, okay, 
how can how is this team going to shape up? Who's going to be here? What do we need? It's it's a constant conversation. Dave Gagne, who was an assistant coach with the London Knights for a long time, played in the National Hockey League. He used to describe it as a conversation with Mark and Dale is 99% hockey, 1% farming. And that's that's what it is. And so if Dale gets it, I mean, I've sat down with Dale at 500 wins because it was a really cool number, 600 wins, 700 wins, 800 wins. And now it just gets to the point of, hey, Dale, you, you okay if we sit down and talk about this, this latest milestone? And he graciously always does it. But it's not something that he's looking at saying, ah, I, I want that. It's about team success and player success. That's what he likes to see. If you go and look at how many players have gone on to play professional hockey or how many of his players have gone on to do you know, big things in life, no matter what it is, doesn't even have to be on the ice. That's where you'll see his pride truly come out. That's where you see what he gets out of this. It's, it's being able to be that kind of a person in a young man's life and have them go on to whatever successes they're going to have in life. It probably seems like you're having those conversations with him every other year because it seems like it's 50 wins, 50 wins, 50 wins. <laughs> it hasn't taken long. I mean, it is fast. And and he'll just shrug. But I think he is he's one of those people who he is so engaged with the game of hockey and pays such close attention to it that he has been able to go where the game is going either as it goes there or a little bit before when you needed some real toughness and you certainly needed to, you know, to play that defensive style. He was able to have his team do that. When it became about hockey IQ and speed, he was looking for players and the Knights were looking for players and, and they were teaching players. Here's the system we're going to play now and, and puck possession and all of those things that have come in and, and become real important facets of the game. They have been able to kind of incorporate the kinds of players who excel at playing that style. And so I, I think that, you know, that's that's been one of those big, big keys to him is just being able to know where the game is going and be able to get your team there. That's not easy. It's interesting, Mike, that you mentioned the attention paid to the game by, by Dale and, and Mark as well, because when we talked to Brian Kilray on an earlier episode of this podcast, and no disrespect to the legend that is killer intended, but... I think it's a foregone conclusion that Dale passes him for most coaching wins in the OHL. That remains to be seen, but just Chris already talked about the trajectory that he's on, et cetera, et cetera. But when we asked Brian Kilray about Dale Hunter, he he lumped in Mark with him and said, these are two of the hardest working guys you're going to meet, period. And 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 that's be, like it. It's one thing as broadcasters and as fans to to watch the game and to to you know, either love a team or love to hate a team or whatever the case may be. But but the guys that are in it, whether they're playing, there's an element of fun because it's a game, it's a sport, but there is work and work ethic matters. And, and Brian Kilray sees it in spades in the Hunters. It comes in the amount of scouting that they do, the amount of video that they will watch. But it's one of those things where if you can find your passion and you love to do it, and then you do it and it doesn't feel like work. I really think there's an element of that where, yes, they are as hardworking as it comes. And this comes from 
their family lineage. Dick Hunter is, he's somebody who, who doesn't get enough credit for how the organization runs because he instilled those values that are in Mark and Dale Hunter. And those values carry through to the rest of their organization, carry through to the team, you know, hard work, loyalty, honest effort, all of those things. And that's something that they just, they just have innately. And then to love to do what you're going to do and to be willing to, you know, put in the work because they always want to try. And if they're not winning a championship, be putting themselves into a position to win a championship. And that's, that's just the ultimate goal. I started this by asking you if this was the year, finally a losing season under Dale Hunter. And I say, say that jokingly because just the utmost respect for somebody who in a league that is so up and down, he just stays right at the top the entire time. And I was joking about that record because you have a guy backstopping this London Knights club, assuming he's back. I, I think he will be Brett Brochu after his rookie season. He was arguably the best goaltender in the league in his rookie season, 32 and six. You heard those numbers correctly, 32 and six. What do you see Brett Brochu capable of? I think the best thing to look at with Brett Brochu is the fact that he got an opportunity to play this past year, got to go to Wilkes-Barre Scranton. And this will tell you a lot about Brett Brochu. I talked with Tom Kostopoulos, who used to play in the OHL, played in the NHL, and he's now part of uh, the, the player personnel coaches with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he said, he's the guy, and this was not after a week in the American Hockey League. This was not after two weeks. He'd been there a while. He said he's the guy that if players want to go out and shoot late at practice, he'll stand in net. He's the guy that if you want to go out early, he'll stand in net. He will do whatever you want to do. And the big part of that is he wasn't playing. So he was practicing. He was putting in all those extra reps, and he wasn't getting any game time. And he probably knew in his head that he wasn't going to get into a game. Wilkes-Barre Scranton and the Penguins were so impressed that they put him into the final game of the season and let him become the youngest Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguin ever to play. And he played in an American Hockey League game at just over 18. And that came through that hard work. He's someone who battles. He, he's not blessed with six foot two size. He's not 220 pounds. It's not going to be. And yet that doesn't matter because he doesn't want to be scored on. And when talking about goalies, Dale Hunter will point to Patrick Waugh and he'll say for a goalie you want to find a guy who really hates to be scored on he said Patrick Waugh in practice hated to be scored on on a third rebound you could take a shot he'd stop it take another shot he'd stop it if you scored on that third rebound he'd be mad at himself he wanted to stop that shot Brett Brochu has that element to him and one thing that he will have in front of him and this is why I think the Knights have an opportunity if they can get some young players to contribute offensively to make some noise this year, their defense is going to be experienced and their defense is going to be big. They're going to bring in players that maybe we don't know a lot about. Logan Mayu would be one. You should hear his name called the NHL entry draft. Uh, Bryce Montgomery. Those two can be kind of twin towers. Um, they've got some younger players that will come in and, and could step right into big roles. And so this, this could be a team that in front of Brett Brochu does have a, a strong defense core. You've got that strong style that the Knights play. If you find some offense and there are guys who can do it, 
then who knows? We we could have uh, we could have some nights to talk about in the postseason in 2022. Feels good to hear that too, doesn't it? <laughs> Does oh, hum. it ever? Yeah, oh, hum. Hum. just another season in the life of the London Knights. Uh, Stubbsy, we call this podcast OHL stories for a reason because there are so many great stories around the game. You've been involved in the game for more than a minute. I'm sure you've got more than a few. Got a favorite that sticks out? Well, I mean, we can talk about. Two ends for the London Knights. So I'll give you two stories, two of my favorite stories. And one kind of splits into a couple of things. Um, The Knights have seen the really, really high end of junior hockey and winning the Memorial Cup. They have done it in dramatic fashion, winning in overtime in Red Deer in 2016. This is a franchise that also went 360 and three in 1995-96. And so the franchise truly has had both of those ends of the spectrum. So what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with 95, 96 and some stories there? Or do you want to start with 2016 and then work your way back? Oh, no. 95, 96. Yeah, build it up. (laughs) All right. Please, please, for the rest of the OHL, give us some 95, 96. 95, 96 was a year, and I'm not making this up. You can go and you can look this up. The Knights won their very first game on the final game they played before the holiday break. The date was December 22nd, I think, that year. Now, I might not be right on that, but it was December a lot. That's what I know. The calendar was long into December when they won a game. Every other game before that had not been a win. So this had been a tough year. And people always ask about this year. And it was one of those things where we didn't take a lot of notes, believe it or not, because you always believed it was going to turn around. But the weirdest things happened that year. This was a team that wasn't having much success. It was a team that, you know, just because of different circumstances, that the guys gave it everything they had every night. This is just what it was. Kitchener was a dynamite team that year. Kitchener used to come in and pick up two points quite a lot at the London Ice House. And there was a game that they were playing against the Niagara Falls Thunder before they moved to Erie and became the Otters. And Niagara Falls had some really good players. They had a guy named Steve Nimagon, who was a dynamite player. And the Knights actually found a way to score three goals in the first period. And instead of losing 6-3, because sometimes that happened when they scored three goals in the first period, they were winning 3-0. So they had a 3-0 lead over one of the best teams in the league. Everything was going well. And then a pipe burst somewhere high above the ice. And water began to fall out of that pipe, like Niagara Falls itself, down onto the ice. And by the end of the first period, a hole had opened up in the ice that if you take your two hands and put them together, the hole was as big as your outstretched fingers and thumb could be. And I can remember being in the intermission. The intermission, you know, you couldn't necessarily see this hole as it was forming. So nobody really knew what was going on. And... So the intermission is dragging on, dragging on. You can see these conversations going on. So I remember running down because it wasn't that far and running down all the way to where everybody was having these conversations to find out what was going on. And I stood there as people were discussing. And remember, this is the 90s and the OHL. Life was a little bit different sometimes. There was discussion of maybe putting a pylon down. Uh, saying, don't skate into this area. And then finally, somebody said, no, 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 no. This, this is for the safety of the players. Come on, we can't do this. And believe it or not, they couldn't. And they had to 
not postpone the game, but outright cancel it. And then Niagara Falls came back a couple of months later and won the game 7-1. And I've tried to get whether or not this is true. And I've asked some of the players on the team and they weren't sure, but I've heard the story that Ryan Penny, who was in net that night for Niagara Falls was running a high fever. The other goalie was injured. There wasn't a third goalie in those days. It was you or the other guy. And so Ryan Penny had to play and probably couldn't have made many more saves in that game. Could have been an easy win for the London Knights. Instead, it was a 7-1 loss that came months later. So that's an example of things that would go on. They were playing the Sudbury Wolves one night. And with five and a half minutes to go, this is later in the season. And I think they had two wins at that time. They probably played about 45, 50 games against the Sudbury Wolves. They're winning. They're winning 5-2 with five and a half minutes left. With four and a half minutes left, they're losing 6-5. Do the math on that one. Four goals in a minute. And I can remember London Free Press reporter Jim Cressman. And he was running around somewhere. And I thought, what's he doing? Next thing you know, he's got the CHL record book. There's no internet in 95, 96. They gave you the out-of-town scores on small pieces of paper. They may or may not have been accurate. And he (laughs) runs up and he immediately starts flipping through. And he's looking for fastest four goals in a game. It didn't exist. No one had thought to put it in there. Who's going to put it? Fastest four goals, three minutes and eight seconds. Big deal. They didn't have a record for fastest four goals. So those are two from 95-96. I could go on and play the night that they borrowed the Sudbury Wolf in Sudbury. Guys climbed shoulder on shoulder and untied the Wolf and brought him back. And at one point during the pandemic, somebody actually DM'd me a picture of the, the Knights and the Wolf. And there they were in the, in the hotel room. Now they returned. It, it, it was all in good fun. But the Wolf got his revenge the next night. It was one of those things in Sudbury where you would go in and you would arrive on a Sunday. You'd have an off day Monday and you'd play Tuesday. Did you guys ever do any of these? This we never did that one. Sudbury trip. I, don't, I, I have no idea why there was a Monday off day. Sudbury's quiet on Mondays. But on Tuesday you played. And on Tuesday, that wolf came out because when you score a goal in Sudbury, when the home team scores, the wolf comes down the line and and howls and goes all the way to the scoreboard. That used to happen, you know, I guess more often. I I think, does it still happen? Does he still come all the way to center ice? I can't even remember. I don't think it happens every goal. Yeah, I I remember hearing Doug Harvey when he was playing with the Montreal Canadiens. The first night that they did this was so impressed by this that he turned around. It was an exhibition game. He turned around after he saw it once and scored on his own net so that he could see it happen again. That's just another little story from there. But the Wolf came out 12 times. Sudbury beat them 12-1 to uh, exact the Wolf's revenge. So that was 95, 96. That's a great prank. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened more, honestly, because how many opposing players have you talked to that say they hate that damn wolf, right? They don't want to see it come out. Obviously, that's a great prank. One night it wore a teal and eggplant London Knights jersey. (laughs) And I have the proof. I'll show it to you when we get back together a little closer than this. Cannot wait for that. Okay, so those are some 95, 96 stories. There's, there's almost one for every day of the week for that. But let's fast forward to some different times because there's two stories that are pretty wild from the Knights win in 2016 that kind of take you in behind the scenes a little bit. There are the seven people who thought the Rouen Aranda Huskies won the game. There were seven people 
who for a short period of time thought that the Ruan Aranda Huskies won the game. So I'll tell that one in a minute. But the Knights were down 2-1 in the third period going into the final TV timeout. And heads are kind of down on the bench, and they'd won 16 games in a row at that point. And they had gone undefeated in the Memorial Cup round robin. They'd advanced to the final. They had to wait from Tuesday until Sunday to play. So that's that's a long wait, a lot of time to think. And Chase Marchand and Ruan Naranda, they were they were incredible that afternoon. They were really, really good. Chase Marchand was in net and was making all kinds of saves. And it was kind of like on the bench, this isn't our day. This, this just isn't going to happen. So they go into the final TV timeout. And Brandon Crawley, who was a defenseman for the Knights, he's in the Rangers organization now, the New York Rangers, he gets up from the end of the bench and he walks to the middle of the bench and he starts yelling during the TV timeout. This is not happening. This is not happening. It doesn't end this way. This is not happening. And if you ask anybody sitting on that bench, they kind of turn around and watch and he just kept going and he did it for a whole minute. And then he stopped. He went and he sat back down and all of a sudden the guy's heads kind of lifted up a little bit. And Dale Hunter made one of these Dale Hunter coaching decisions. If you ask Dale about it, he'll always just say, ah, I was, it wasn't, nothing was going. So I was just trying to mix something up, trying to get something going. And he does this, you know, more often than, Hey, this is just a fluke. This happens. So Dale Hunter looks out and Christian Dvorak had been going out, and taking defensive zone faceoffs on his strong side of the ice all game. The Knights would do their best to clear the zone. Then Christian Dvorak would come off, and he played that year with Mitch Marner and Matthew Kachuk on a line, and he would wait to go back out with them. So Christian Dvorak is skating out to take a faceoff in the London Knights zone with about four minutes to go, and Dale looks at him and he says, hey, Devo, stay out, stay out. So he stayed out on a line with Max Jones and Aaron Barisha, they won the faceoff. They get the puck down the ice. Max Jones gets knocked down, takes him a second to get back up, and that makes him late getting into the corner. But Max Jones would come in with as much thunder as he could, and coming in late into the corner, the puck was already stuck in some legs. Well, he dislodged it. He threw his body into a pile, and the puck skipped free right there in Barisha, centered it to who? Christian Dvorak, who was standing there on the ice, and he scored to tie the game. Without Dale Hunter making that decision, maybe without Brandon Crawley jumping up and down and, and saying it doesn't end this way, who knows? Maybe maybe it ended a different way, but the Knights ended up winning in overtime. But the place was so full. The Centrium in Red Deer was so full that there were some players who could not get into the game or were not in the lineup for the Knights. There were five of them. And there were two team personnel, video coach and Joey Poljanowski was on the staff as well. And they were in the dressing room and they were watching the game on TV. And they are to this day, the seven people. And if I try and name them, I'll miss one. But it was Evan Bouchard. It was Nick Mattinen. uh, It was Emmanuel Vela, Cole Sherwood. And see, I know I'm going to miss one. So there's one there's one other mystery guy. And they were down there watching. And for about seven or eight seconds, whatever the length of the delay was on TV, they thought Ruan Naranda had won the Memorial Cup. Because when you watch the game-winning goal, before it happens, and you can count back the time, count back seven seconds, what's happening at the seven-second mark? 
the Rouen-Aranda Huskies are dumping the puck into the London zone. So picture this. If you are down under the stadium in the Knights dressing room, you see a puck on TV dumped into the zone deep, like almost behind the net deep, deep in the corner along the wall. And all of a sudden you hear this huge cheer erupt. Well, it was London and Rouen-Aranda. There were cheering interests on both sides. People just, they cheered goals. They were having a good time in Red Deer. Red Deer had a great time that week. So they think, we just lost. We just, we just lost the game. Because there's no way that seven seconds later, the puck could be all the way down the ice and in the Rouen-Aranda net. But you watch as Ole Olevi chips a puck over to Aiden Jamison. And Jamison kind of starts slowly out of his own zone. And then he just fires a pass on left wing to Matthew Kachuk. He gets in across the blue line, pulls the puck into his body and fires it at the net. And that cheer ended up being for a London Knights win. See, that Popper, is absolutely wild. It's possible. It, it, this we might. I don't know if it's going to be in Red Deer. I don't care where it's going to be. We might have the chance to call a Memorial Cup winning game like Mike Stubbs has. I got goosebumps just listening to Stubbsy there. Amazing. I'm ready for holy golly London Knights <laughs> hockey. <laughs> hey, real quick, Stubbsy, we've got uh, Adam Dennis as our feature <clears throat> interview on this podcast, aka the insurance policy. You know, from that other. Memorial Cup in 05? Any yeah. Adam Dennis stories that come to mind? Yes, I do have an Adam Dennis story. And he won't tell it the same way, but I like the movie script version. Can I tell the movie script version? Yes. Because I've absolutely. asked him and Dale Hunter about this. And they both kind of say, yeah, okay, you know, it wasn't quite like that, I don't think. But here's the movie version of this. So it's twas the night before the Memorial Cup final in 2005. And the Knights had been using two goalies that year, Adam Dennis and Gerald Coleman, and they were pretty interchangeable all year after they had traded Ryan McDonald to Guelph for Adam Dennis. And before that had been Gerald Coleman and Ryan McDonald. So that's kind of the the way the goaltending worked that year. And Dale Hunter, being Dale Hunter, it's kind of late at night, is in his coach's office preparing for the next day. And Dale's sitting there, and his coach's office at that point used to be right inside the door of the Knights' dressing room. And Dale's not a guy to shut his door, so it would have been open. And so he sees somebody walk past. He's, he's looking down at something or watching video or doing something. He just catches out of the corner of his eye, somebody walking past. He doesn't think much of it. It's probably Knights equipment manager Chris Matten, who's going to come in and just make sure everything's set for the next day. It's kind of a big game. And so he doesn't think anything. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks by again, and he notices – no, that, that wasn't Chris Matten. That, that was a player. Is that, is that Adam Dennis? And so he, he kind of calls out and he says, hey, Adam, everything okay? And sure enough, Adam Dennis looks around the corner of the doorway and he says, Dale, just want you to know, if you put me in net tomorrow, we will win the Memorial Cup. And I don't know that this happened, but it helps the movie script version. Dale Hunter grabbed the lineup card and right beside goalie went 28, Adam <laughs> Dennis, and he shut out Ramuski the next day. Somebody get on the horn with Disney because this is a script right there. And Stubbsy's getting co-writer's credit for it. 
Can I just add on to that really quick? Because I, I believe that story through and through that version, Stubbsy, regardless of what Denny will tell you. Because I got to know Denny in our time in Guelph when I was playing Junior B and he was with the Storm. And his goalie coach was a former guest on this podcast, Mike Parson, who happens to be my uncle. When I was saying I wasn't getting enough playing time, he said, I tell the boys all the time, you want to play a game? Go tell the coach you want to play a game. And here we are, come full circle, hearing an Adam Dennis story going into Dale and being like, I want to play that game. I can't wait to hear his version of it. Listen, Stubbsy, I can't wait to be back in an arena and getting to see you and Doyler and Sloaner and Jim Van Horn and the whole the whole group. Can we bring back Cressman and Morris Dalacosta and, and bring Pi, you know, and of course uh, uh, Pistol Pete has got to be around, of course, right? I, I can't wait till we're all in the same arena again to call an OHL game. Me neither. And I think it's going to be soon. And I've looked. London and Kitchener meet, what, 10 times this year? 10 Isn't times. It? You're going to be sick of us. Nine times too many, but that's okay. We'll be playing. <laughs> Stub- Stubbsy mentioned Dale Hunter likes goaltenders who don't like to be scored on. I once saw Adam Dennis freak out on his own team after a three-on-O drill, and they passed it about three times and buried the third goal. He went skating out after the player who – converted on that third chance. That's how much Adam Dennis didn't want to get scored on our feature guest this week on OHL stories. How's it feel to uh, get the official title or take, or get the assistant title taken away and now general manager up in North Bay. Uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind guys. It's uh, it's not been the way that I really wanted to get the title for the first time, but uh, excited. Nonetheless, we were really happy to, to have the puck drop against Erie on uh, last week uh, just to, so we could start focusing on hockey again. But it's, it's not been an easy time, but uh, nonetheless, now that we're through it, excited to get started. No doubt not an easy time considering the circumstances, Adam, but at the same time, you also had the opportunity to work alongside and, and I'm sure learn a lot from a guy like Stan Butler. What's that experience like and how has it maybe even accelerated your own development as a GM in this league? Well, certainly, and, and I think the the best thing for me was that Stan Stan let me do things. He he let me tr- uh, you know work in some some areas that that other guys may not have had the opportunity to do so. Let me fall on my face, and you know let me uh, let me learn from mistakes, which was which was awesome for me. Anything that I was going through for the first time, he'd been through it at least five times. So uh, just just having that experience and being able to have somebody that I could go to was really crucial for me. Obviously, many people know listening about uh, Stan's departure from the team as both head coach and general manager. How did you hear about that news, and what was your initial reaction? Uh, we, we heard about it through through our ownership. Um, I, I mean, any time your team had, has five wins through 28, it's something that's in the back of all of our minds. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, regardless of that, it was still a little bit of a shock, just, just given the, the history and how long Stan had been with the team. We know in this league it's – I mean, it, it's so easy, and a lot of fans have a lot of fun being uh, – armchair GMs, right? They they play, the it's like a fantasy league. And I know you got a lot of pieces to move around as a general manager, but recruitment is absolutely a part of that too. And you're in one of those northern communities. I wonder how much you lean on your time with player recruitment at the OHL head offices in your role now, or you plan to lean on that as a, as a general manager in this league. Yeah, well, to be honest, it was it, having to go through that process with the league was really one of the things that attracted to me to North Bay the most was uh, I was able to come up here and see see the facilities, see the town, see the way that the team was embraced, um, and I just saw nothing but potential. Um, so for me, it was really exciting because I know 
Um, as somebody that's grown up as a Toronto guy and, and go, gone through the GTHL, there's a lot of ring talk that goes on and a lot of misinformation. So, um, you know, the common things that we hear is, whoa, North Bay. Um, so what is that, two flights? <laughs> the reality is, from the GTA, we're, we're, we're right in the middle of the pack in terms of distance. We have a great highway um, that you don't have to white-knuckle. Even when it's snowing, it's pretty good conditions. And uh, I, I think when people realize that we aren't Thunder Bay, we are North Bay, and we're a lot closer than they realize that we do have a lot of great things to offer. Um, university, college, uh, we got more outdoor rinks than anywhere in Canada. Uh, there's a lot of good things and a lot of great reasons to, to come to North Bay. And I think the most important for us is just making sure that people really get the, the right messaging. If you want a copy of that answer, Denny, I can send it to you and then you can send that out to recruits. Jeez, you got me sold on North Bay. Um, you spent some time obviously behind the bench as well. What led you to wanting to uh, take more of a, an office direction rather than a coaching side? Well, for me, the general manager has always kind of been in my sight lines. Um, I've never really considered myself too much of a coach, to be honest with you. It was really more just to learn the game, get get a feel for what that side of it was like. So it could really help on the other side. Uh, last year, I got a little bit more into the scouting and the drafting, and I, I felt it was really important just to understand what went on on the ice, uh, You know what we needed to look for in forwards defense. Um, goaltending was something that I was comfortable with, but I mean, as, as you learn through this league, it's, it's one of the toughest positions to draft. So just learning from that side as well. Um, and seeing it from the perspective behind the bench, I thought was crucial for me. I always wonder about the master plan. As a player, when you're going through your pro career, which was primarily spent there in Europe, was there a point along the way where you decided that you wanted to stay in the game and this is the capacity that you wanted to use to stay in it? That Did you envision yourself, in other words, as a general manager in the OHL and perhaps one day beyond? Yeah, the, you know what... I think it really started when I did go over to Europe for the first time. Uh, I was doing my schooling. There was a couple different ways that I wanted to go, but the, the most important thing was to stay in hockey. Um, the, the, the managing is always just kind of, uh, it's always jumped out for me. Uh, and from every side of it, I just think that there's so many ways you can affect a team. And um, for me, it just it just made a lot more sense with my personality and how I like to do things. I get to be a little bit more analytical, get to look things from a little bit bigger picture. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more motivating guys than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> you, you mentioned the position of goaltending. Obviously, you, you're well knowledge or, or knowledgeable about the, that position. you got two young guys up there. What do you think? Well, we added an, an older guy just recently, but, I mean, we had a lot of time in the, for those two young guys, which is why we, we gave them the opportunity at the start of the year. And really the, the toughest thing for us is, was moving out a good guy in Christian Perbu at the start of the year. Um, but I, I think what it spoke to was how much confidence we had in them. And uh, our, our thought process was, you know, understanding that they didn't have uh, as much experience as, the, uh, as other guys, that they could make up for it in talent and a little bit of gumption. Um, and that's still the thought. Now we brought in Cam Labore, uh last week, who, who's got a wealth of experience in the league. And really what he does is he settles things back there. Uh, when we go into an opposing arena for the first time, um, we have a guy that's been to Peterborough, for example, and can explain what the corners are like or, um, you know, the atmosphere in London or Kitchener and what that's like. And I think that's really the most important thing is the experience that, that um, you get when you do play the games and you go to the arena. So just having that a little bit of extra veteran uh, uh, guidance is, is, I think, going to be crucial for our two young guys. I want to go back to your time in this league, Adam. And you were a part of 
what I think, I would argue, is one of the most memorable trades this league has ever seen. When the London Knights went out to acquire you from the Guelph Storm simply because they did not want to play against you. You had their number, you beat them the previous year as a member of the Storm, and they basically went out the next year and said, we're not risking anything on our road to a Memorial Cup. We have to get this guy so we don't have to play against him. When you first went to London, did you just drop your bags in the parking lot and tell Dale Hunter to pick them up for you? Because you're the man at that point, right? Like, come on, you want me that bad, eh? It was pretty funny because, I, I don't know, you guys obviously remember the noof back in those days, but uh, there's other kinds of message boards now. But I definitely remember reading my name in a couple of the rumors, which I don't think is good for any player to read that kind of thing. But... <laughs> Um, back in the day, I, I read it and saw my name in a number of rumors, and uh, I, I loved Guelph. I never really wanted to leave Guelph. Um, what was really exciting for me is when I started to hear that London might have interest, who was hosting the, the Memorial Cup, and uh, the way that we went out the year before in three straight games, it just left a, a little taste that, that uh, you know, mission wasn't quite accomplished. Uh, leading up to that, I, I mean, I know Dave Barr had, had asked if I would be interested, and I kind of made made it known to him, well, if London was calling, that'd be really interesting, but I do understand where we're at, and, um, you know, I, I, I'd be open to a trade to try and, you know, further my career. So I had heard a couple other teams had interest on the East just because London was, was um, hosting, you know, the other team uh, on the East just had to get into the final. So I know a lot of teams were pushing on that side. Didn't really know what was going to happen then trade deadline day came up and and of course everybody who you haven't spoken to in about three months calls you that day (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you know you're just waiting for that one call finally i got the call from dave Barr to come in and and he just handed me the phone and mark hunter was on the other end it asked you know pretty much what time can you get there for practice and uh you know the rest is history it was a lot of fun um we had a, a serious rivalry the year before playing against those guys and uh, there was a couple of, you know, definitely some, some bad blood first coming in the room, but credit to that group. They they welcomed myself and, and Dan Girardi in with open arms. And, uh, I mean, I guess that's what you need if, uh, if you're going to win championships is coming together in, in that short of a time. How long did it take once you got in that room? Because you mentioned that rivalry. Anybody that was around the league at that time knew it was extremely heated and there was a lot of hate in those games. And then you walk in. How long did it take you to feel comfortable? Uh, probably a week or two. I think once you start playing games, it, it all kind of comes together because you're focused on the same thing. But uh, it didn't take long, really. I mean, getting in there and just, just getting to play hockey kind of eased the transition. I know you're a competitor, and your numbers would always matter. You want to stop every puck. But let's be honest, that was pretty much a super team that you were playing with that year. And we could argue eras and whatnot, best team the league has ever seen. But did you ever get the feeling you just stroll out there and, you know, even if you let in four, they're going to score five or six for you anyway. That's an incredible hockey team to play behind. Yeah, and you know what? I I think it's one of the toughest places to play as a goalie as well. I do think that most nights it didn't matter who was going to be in that net. But I think the toughest thing being a goalie for the London Knights is the, he's trying to eliminate the thoughts that I, I, I can't screw this up for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's something that's hard, even though as simple as it sounds to think positively and, you know, you're just part of the team as everybody else. Those thoughts do certainly come through your head, especially when your team's up by 30, 40 shots and the, the game's one nothing. You know there's going to be a time when they come back down and there's going to be a high-quality chance. So you got to be ready for it or, or you look like uh, – you know, you go for the penthouse to the outhouse pretty quickly as a goalie, especially in London. You mentioned a name a little while ago, Danny, I want to ask you about, because you were traded to London with Dan Girardi. And mm-hmm. Girardi, at the end of his playing career, there was talk of him going to U Sports, CIS at the time. He turns it around, goes to the East Coast and then the American League, and then 
knocks out over 900 games in the National Hockey League. Did you ever think G would make it that far? I mean, you don't... I guess I probably should have, um, looking at just what he did for every team that I was on. Um, you don't really think like that. I mean, when you're when you're a teenager, you think about the, the what the NHL teams recognize with the, the draft and, um, you know, who's drafted, who signs. That that seems to be what occupies most teenagers. But having played behind Dan Girardi, uh, he probably killed my save percentage more than anybody with the amount of shots that he blocked. And <laughs> I think he just did everything well. Um, you know, he was offensive enough. He was a great shutdown guy. He was fearless. I remember that whole Memorial Cup. He played with a broken hand. Um, just a, a, you know, he, he just did everything well. And I think sometimes when you don't stand out at one thing like like Danny Sivret did with his plus minus or Brian Rodney did with his offense and then Mark Mathot just being that, that consummate defensive defenseman, it was kind of where's what kind of an identity is this, Danny have and uh, he certainly made a name for himself over the next 10 years but yeah you don't hear too many guys like that anymore that that sign a straight East Coast Hockey League contract and then within two three years they're in the NHL but uh, he's a special guy and an amazing teammate and uh, just just thrilled to to watch the career that he did have I want to ask you another name but it's not a teammate it was a rival when I say Justin Peters what comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever sees the other fight that I had. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there were more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You know what's funny is uh, um, Justin Peters actually is the guy that I, I, I would consider a friend. We played against each other a long time. Um, I worked out with him in the summer, so knew what I was getting myself into. Um, funny story about that game is we were, we were actually losing three nothing, and it's in London. And the way that whole thing started was the backup goalie on uh, Plymouth, I believe, last week, Garay, G-A-R-A-Y. Um, he kind of started the whole thing where he, he picked up Josh Bolyu's elbow pad. Bolyu got into it with him. So I'm thinking, okay, backup's getting tossed. Peters has a shutout. Like, they're going to have to put a defenseman in that. There's another game, a <laughs> period and a half to go. You're the consummate team guy, Denny. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time to think about the story. <laughs> but I asked him at first, and he's like, no, i got to shut out. So I just, you know, I, I figured I had to get him to do something. So I took my helmet off in London, and I, I just spun it at center ice. <laughs> and then the crowd started to go, and I saw his take his helmet off and he wasn't impressed so I knew it wasn't going to be a fun <laughs> little while after that but moral of the story their backup goalie didn't get tossed and we ended up losing 3 nothing. so um, <laughs> all for nothing <laughs> okay okay but now tell us the other one uh, the other one was actually when I first got traded to London um, it was against Peterborough against Jeff McDougal and it was another line brawl my, pretty much my first ever fight um, and I thought that I was tough at that point. But then <laughs> you go into the uh, – uh, we were at the OHL Awards, and I saw Jeff there. And then they start to hand out the awards, and, and they start talking about this one guy who's been reading to sick kids all year and going into schools. So he was humanitarian oh. in the year. So <laughs> I didn't feel so tough after that. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> you, <laughs> going back to that Peters fight, Peters fight you said that uh, you worked out with – uh, Peters in the off season. There's lots of talk about his workout regiment that Ron, Rod Brindamore actually called his dad once and asked him, what is he doing in the off season? Cause I want to do it. What was it like working out with Petey? Well, he always did a lot more reps than I did. <laughs> 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 
No, yeah, yeah, he he he's always worked hard. He uh, the, the whole Peters family I know is a very hardworking family, and uh, I mean it's it's as soon as you're gonna rest for a second, Justin's gonna pass you. We talked about your time in London before that in Guelph. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, during that run, you guys acquired a player that uh, drew some eyes in the dressing room and some eyes in the media, and Cam Jansen. There's a ton of stories about this guy. What was it like when Jansen first walked into the room? It was like we got a, a WWE superstar in the dressing room. It was awesome. Uh, kind of took, and, and I remember, you know, you go back to the London Knights, and and the biggest thing that we had issues with was was going up against guys like Chris Bain and Danny Bois. So really, we had to bring in a guy like Cam just to to let let our skilled players, you know, really have a little bit of space. Um, Cam was awesome. Another great team guy. Um, made everything easy. He knew what, knew what he was there to do. Um, and he, you know, he could do a lot of other things as well. He was a great guy in the room. Um, I'm sure a lot of the stories are, you might've made up most of them, but <laughs> he's an awesome guy, uh, that I think if we didn't add, we probably don't win a championship that year. I can't help but think Adam, you know, hearing you use a term like line brawl and it, and I don't say that in a negative way, but in, in the big picture, it's not all that long ago. We're talking 10, 15 years when this stuff was happening. And I wonder what your view is of the game as we see it today and maybe how much it compares to that European game where you played so much pro. Well, I, I mean, I think it is a skill game. It's always been a skill game. And I think now um, having young kids that, that are seem to be get, grasping the game and, and looking to, to get into themselves, I think it's great changes. I, I think it's necessary and I know maybe uh, for some the entertainment value would go down a little bit, but I think you make up for that in the skill level. Um, I remember coming into training camp, and it was great as a goalie because I know I didn't ever had to deal with any of these guys, but there was always you know, one or two guys that were there for one reason, and that was to make the team to get out for their 30 seconds a game and get into a fight. And um, just eliminating that culture, I think, has been a big step for hockey, and I think it's important. Um, you know, it, 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 those days are gone, and I think with the education that we have in concussions and, and the brain, um, it's crazy not to do these changes. Your time in the OHL, you played on quite a few skilled teams. We talked about that London team of might be the best team ever assembled. You look at the OHL championship run in Guelph with Dan Paye, Matt Ryan, Martin St. Pierre, the likes. What was it like as a goalie during those practices? <laughs> Frustrating? <laughs> Well, it's hard to, to argue with the guys to the you know stop going uh, bar down every time you're putting it barring in. So you know the argument was ever if they hit me in the, the throat or the chin that I had something to say, but if they're going barring in, then it was kind of tough. So I didn't really have much to say. But for the one two guys that were in practice that didn't have the skill, they definitely kept it below the belt. <laughs> were, were there any guys on those teams that? Uh, you thought this guy has pro written all over him, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Mm. I mean, Ryan Garlock's definitely one um, that came in as a first round pick and very good career, very good player. Just maybe a couple injuries would have held him back. He for sure was one that I thought uh, had a pretty good chance. Brian Rodney, I thought would have a much longer career as well, but again, injuries and Danny Surrett too, with some pretty special players that I got the chance to play with. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch as well. Trudell's another one that was very good in Guelph. Um, yeah, there was a bunch. I kind of want to bring this 
back full circle to where we sort of started. In fact, just before we started the recording, we were talking that, you know, you're your North Bay Battalion are getting ready for a game tonight. We're catching you in the afternoon of a game day. No big deal, just the London Knights that are in town. But <laughs> you referenced that the team has been struggling this year, and that led to the changes that puts you in the general manager's chair. What do you do, Adam, to to restore this franchise to its former glory? Has Nick Kiprios called yet? I mean, what, what are we going to do? Because there's a great history of hockey there in North Bay for sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I, I, I think first and foremost is giving the current group a chance uh, to have a clean slate. Uh, I thought going back to last week's game that we played some really good hockey, even though we won one out of two. I definitely thought we deserved a better fate on the Saturday and Sunday game. We had a controversial um, goal that, that we challenged and, and it didn't get overturned. And it was probably one of those gray areas that we all see weekly on, on TV that could have gone either way. Um, just missing out on a point there. And then in the Owen Sound game, I mean, their goalie was very good. Um, as you know, goalies can steal game, but I thought we deserved at least a point in that game as well. So I think our team's been playing pretty well um, since the change happened, and it's really just monitoring, constantly evaluating. Uh, we've done a pretty good job of acquiring some some draft picks to, to really go out and, and build this thing the right way, but uh, I, I think we're not going to be uh, jumping the gun on anything. We're going to be patient. Uh, we felt like we had a great draft last year. We do feel like we have a lot of really good pieces, especially at the 2001 age group. Um, and I, I don't think we're far off. I, I think, you know, the difference between winning and losing this in this league is a very small margin, and, and we're right there. So I think just, you know, sticking to our plan, staying patient, and, and making sure that the young guys are getting opportunities to play, grow, and, and we're making sure we're evaluating along the way. You mentioned when you were traded from Guelph to London, it was Dave Barr, who was with San Jose, recently relieved of his duties, and then he handed you the phone, and it was Mark Hunter on the other side. Mm-hmm. Both former G, well, Mark now back as a GM of the London Knights. Did either one of those guys call you when you got your job, or who was the first one to call you and congratulate you? I tried. Dylan Hunter definitely reached out right away. I know with Mark, he's busy, and obviously Dave's been busy as well. So, no, I haven't heard from either of those guys, but Mark's a guy that I keep in touch with quite regularly. Anytime I run into him at the rink, a guy that I'll just kind of bend his ear and ask a little advice to, and, you know, to his credit, he's always willing to, to do it. Maybe if he's trying to get some information out of me as well. But, uh, no, they, they both were, were great mentors for me and uh, guys that I definitely look up to. You mentioned the impact that goaltenders have on the game. Obviously, uh, you were one of the best in this league when you were in it. You've stopped a lot of pucks in your time. Did you ever have a Patrick Waugh moment where you made this incredible save and you winked at the player knowing that, like, you've got his number? <laughs> I was uh, yeah, the one the other Patrick Wall moment I had was I, I went to I actually threw a puck in my own net um, <laughs> in the OHL finals. Like I went to, to shovel a puck through the crease and it got caught in my webbing, went um, top shelf right behind me. Luckily, we won the game, but uh, I, I thought you were coming at me with it when he held the puck up in the air and he actually didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, did the Statue uh, of I, Liberty. I like, to, I like to talk on the ice, though. I, I really did. It kind of got me into the games that I didn't. Um, so I, I don't think I had anyone in particular. I remember Scott Shepard and I getting into it a lot when he was in London. He would always skate by my crease, put the toe of his stick, and he'd take a chunk out of my crease, or then he'd try and drink my water bottle. So I definitely let him know anytime I stopped him, that's for sure. I heard uh, in your time in Guelph, I got a couple texts when I asked some people about you. I heard you had a, a pregame ritual for a, a lunch date out of town. You and a couple guys would go for lunch. You remember what that was? Yeah, Mongolian Grill actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was what yeah. was on the docket for Mongolian Grill? Uh, as much as we could fit into us. <laughs> we, I think we got a little bit of a discount too. So it was myself, 
Sam Pye, Dan Girardi, and Ryan Callahan would trek out to, to Cambridge and make sure that we, we, we got our money's worth. That was for sure. Did you have any of those idiosyncrasies that goaltenders always tend to have, you know, not stepping on any lines to an, you know, on and off the ice or touching each post a number of times before the game started, anything like that? Or all of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried not to. Um, so I guess, if anything, I, I, I tried to do everything differently just to avoid all those crazy quirks, which probably turned into a quirk in itself. Um, but no, I really tried not to. I, I never wanted anything like if I ran out of the cereal that I had to eat to mess up my mind. So I tried to really stay away from all that stuff. And uh, I just think it's stuff that's out of your control. And I never really wanted to, to add any of them to my game. When you went overseas, you ended up representing Team Italy in an Olympic qualifying tournament. What was that like? It was awesome. It was awesome. It was really cool. Uh, cool experience. Something that I always knew in my back pocket that, that I'd like to try. Um, just going over there and playing, getting to learn the language, and I, I, I do have a little bit of heritage, so I was able to acquire my passport. And it was a, it was a funny dynamic because when we were playing, it was almost a third of the team was from North America, a third of the team was uh, Italian but spoke German, the other third was Italian that spoke <laughs> Italian. So it was uh, it was a different dynamic, but but awesome guys, awesome experience, really cool to to be able to say that I represented a country that uh, I know my mom was born in and it was pre- pretty important to all of us uh, to do so. Um, we just came up short and making the Olympics would have been a, an unbelievable experience, but uh, we ended up beating Germany and losing to Austria by a goal. So um, stunk, but uh, hey, what an experience to just even put on the jersey and play in those qualifiers. We all know the ultimate goal is the National Hockey League, but for a player that may not quite reach that level, uh, would you recommend Europe as a good destination? Absolutely. I mean, I I went over after a a hip surgery, and it was great. You never play any back-to-back games. Um, There was a couple breaks throughout the year, so my wife and I, we traveled all over, and with Ryanair, it was awesome. I mean, there's great hockey to be had, too, but just as a life experience in general, it's... uh, it's a pretty special place, and, and Europe in general is a lot of fun. And, you know, if you do get the chance to go over there, go see everything because uh, you can hop in a car and see a lot of cool places. Real quick, Denny, obviously a lot of the talk around this league um, lately is about the incident in Niagara uh, with Tucker Tynan taking that skate to the leg. In your Obviously equipment has changed a lot since you played, um, but do you think it, there's any... Do you think changes should be made to the goaltending equipment people are wearing now, or is this one of those one-off incidences that change doesn't really need to come from it? It was just a fluke. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily goalies alone. I definitely think there might be something needed in terms of a a Kevlar sock or something, just the way the game is, the speed of it. you got sharp blades flying all over the ice. So uh, it feels like not just with regards to goalies, but every couple years we have some kind of serious laceration that, that is, you know, makes everybody think twice about what we need to look at equipment wise. So there's, there's, I'm sure there's something down the pipeline that somebody's going to profit off of, but uh, I'm not sure uh, that, that, that it's specific to goaltending. I know uh, the knee pads are important and most of them are, are, are wearing them, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It's, it's a tough one and thankful I don't have to make it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Adam, we just want to extend congratulations once again, uh, despite the difficult circumstances, it's a great fit for you. We love seeing guys, that played this game at you know in this league come back through it like you have now and uh, best of luck up there in the North Bay. It's too bad we only get up once a year, but we'll definitely be knocking on your office door when we come up again next year. Hundred percent, guys. It's always a pleasure to hear from you.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jaggin' Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.